Hey, what's going on there, Warrior? Jeff Anderson here from WarriorLife.com, and welcome to podcast episode number 474. So I am back after a week of what I think you're supposed to call downtime, but it didn't quite feel like it, visiting family and friends up in New York. Uh, this week, we're back after taking off last week's podcast, but my mission really is to help my schmoops prepare for defending our home from this massive invasion of family members that are getting ready to assault our dinner table this Thursday for Thanksgiving. We have 19 people, 19 that are coming for Thanksgiving dinner. And of course, everybody wants their own childhood favorites to be on that table. So, you know, we're going to have marshmallow toppings, jello molds, all kinds of stuff all over the place, right? But if your life is as chaotic as mine is this week, then you're going to understand why I'm dipping back into our archives to bring you one more of our previous members-only workshops from our days when we were the New World Patriot Alliance. Now, coming off the heels of the Hamas invasion and the mass attacks into Israel, as well as this ramping up of violent rhetoric that as we start to get closer and closer to what promises to be a soup sandwich of an election in 2024. Um, I, re I remembered this interview that we did with Mark McYoung on the topic of urban escape and evasion. Now, we've covered this topic on our show before, but Mark brings a totally different, different perspective to it. Um, he's tapping into his earlier days as a member of a Los Angeles street gang. So it is a little different take than I'm sure what you're used to hearing. And it's going to give you some powerful strategies to survive a scenario where you may find yourself caught in the crosshairs of a targeted attack. It could be a flash mob attack. It could be... Uh, a planned riot, looters, things like that, or even just the unfortunate spillover of a protest gone wild. So buckle up and wait for uh, this interview. It's going to be a good one. And hey, don't forget to grab this week's free handy-dandy one-page cheat sheet covering all the main points from this week's show. You can grab this as well as our other episode cheat sheets and some training manuals, audio programs, a whole bunch more, all absolutely free. It's waiting for you right now in a special section of our website we call the Loot Locker. And all you have to do is go to warriorlife.com slash loot and grab it all right there. And now, here's our own Buck Green with Mark McYoung. Let's talk tactics. Tactical firearms training. Urban survival. Close quarters combat. Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast. It is, without a doubt, the worst-case scenario of every student of self-defense. You're facing a gang, a mob, a group of people who could choose to put you down and stop you to death. You've got to use everything you have at your disposal to escape, to evade, or to deal with the overwhelming disparate force of a hostile mob of multiple attackers. The problem, however, is not just one of simply facing multiple assailants. We're talking about urban evasion, the practice of avoiding a fight if you can, fleeing a fight if you must, fighting your way free if you're mired in assailants, and even living in dangerous areas for extended periods of time. If you spend any time at all in a dangerous neighborhood, you know how it plays with your mind. You know that danger can find you even in good neighborhoods, and there may well come a time when you've got to get out of danger. The whole concept of survival, of bugging out in an emergency, is based on the idea that when faced with overwhelming danger, you get out of its way. Street evasion is no different, but it is also arguably a more complex subject with its own specific trouble areas. Street evasion is staying aware, avoiding hostiles, and running away when this is possible. It's hiding from and even fighting off more than one pursuer if you can't avoid them. And it is much more than this, all of it potentially dangerous, some of it very much life and death. So, what are the tactics and methods of street evasion? How can learning street evasion help you to survive and protect your family? What are the practical advantages and liabilities of this very specific subtopic of self-defense? Hello, everyone. I am Buck Green, Operations Manager for the International Society of Close Quarter Combatants, and tonight we have a very special guest with us to discuss the threat of multiple attackers and the methodology of street evasion. He is Mark the Animal McYoung, and it's a good bet you've heard his name before. Mark, welcome to the program. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, we're very happy to have you. Now, those of you who don't know, and there probably aren't too many of you, uh, Mark McYoung is a legend in the self-defense field. Uh, growing up in the gang-infested streets of Los Angeles not only gave Mark his street name Animal, but also extensive first-hand experience about what does and does not work for self-defense. What he teaches is based on experience and has proven reliabilities for surviving violence. He's considered by many to be one of the most analytical thinkers on the subject of surviving violence and personal safety today. Animal is the author of multiple books and videos on the topic of self-defense, and he runs in circles that include many other huge names in the self-defense field. In other words, Mark McYoung lives and breathes personal protection and legal self-defense guidelines and counts among his friends many luminaries of the industry. 
He was also featured in Penn & Teller's program debunking many widely held myths of the martial arts. For more information on Mark McYoung and his training, you can visit him online at www.nononsenseselfdefense.com. Uh, okay, Mark, I want to jump right in here. Why would I need to acquire street escape and evasion techniques when instead I could avoid the problem entirely by focusing on that age-old rule, don't go to bad places where bad people are doing bad things? <laughs> um, ordinarily, that is a very, very good strategy. And I wrote a blog on my uh, that's out there, and it's called the biggest pre-attack indicator of them all. And I sat down, and all the people were talking about pre-attack indicators and all this, and they said, you know, what's all this? And I said, you know the biggest pre-attack indicator of all? You're being a beep-hole. <laughs> and <laughs> you're provoking the attack. You know, the problem is we get into situations that we don't think are going to end up going sideways. We talk about awareness avoidance, and yes, those are wonderful, great things, but every now and then we end up in the wrong place and in the wrong time. And worse than that, we say the wrong thing. We do the wrong things, right? So therefore, as much as we, and as effective, as much as we rely on, and as effective as awareness and avoidance is, sometimes you just end up in it. And that's why you need to understand the need for doing, and this is not evasion, et cetera, et cetera. Let's call this a tactical withdrawal. And that's step one. Can you do it? Now, some of our listeners have heard of the concept of verbal judo, and I understand from your writing that you're a big believer in talking your way out of a situation, if you can, uh, sort of mm -hmm. verbally evading or, you know, performing this tactical withdrawal. What can you tell us about this? Uh, you know, if, if I said, I don't know anything about this topic, what can you tell me? Um, okay, you also know that I do expert witness work in court now, right? I do violence mm -hmm. reconstruction, knife work, et cetera, et cetera. So let's start from that statement. Some states have a stand-your-ground laws. Other states have a duty to retreat. Okay. Um, a good faith effort to withdraw is wonderful plan. Now, basically this means you say, look, I'm sorry, I'll leave, and you attempt to leave without making comments about his sexual practices with his mother. All right? Don't go for that last word. Make an honest effort to withdraw. Now, people ask me about this. Well, what if he follows? It's like, hello? Do you realize what a good faith effort to withdraw does? It just helped your legal case. Because you attempted to withdraw from this situation. You didn't antagonize him. He followed you. So you're That does wonders. Hmm? You're viewing this as what? a means of making it more possible for you to take action to truly address the situation as opposed to this being the first line of defense for getting out of there. Well, no, the first line of defense is to be polite and not antagonize people and, you know, be willing to apologize. That's your best self-defense. That's your, you know, your first line of self-defense. Your second one is if you cross somebody and you say, okay, look, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, you know, if it means that much, I will leave. This is a tactical withdrawal because it will bolster your case that you were trying to avoid an altercation. Now, it also has the added benefit of actually it can work. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be amazed how effective, like, I'm sorry, I'll leave, can be to keep from violence from happening. Now, because I've seen a YouTube video before, I'm envisioning the comment section. And one of the first things people will say is, well, if you apologize to the guy, you're showing him weakness, and he'll pounce on you because you've showed him weakness. What, what would you have to ah, say? Ah, yes, okay, wow, if we want to get into that, go down that road. And one of the problems that I have with people who say, well, what if he follows you? What if you show him weakness and he will, you know, he'll he'll attack you? Is these people are so scared of appearing weak 
that they're the ones that don't make a good faith effort. That's important, because if you don't make a good faith effort to withdraw, if you're walking away going, yeah, you punk, da, da, ba, 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 you know, by the way, just let's get this, can I swear or we won't keep this? No, feel free to swear, this is the internet. (laughs) Okay, thank you, that's it, good. Because as you're walking away going, yeah, you motherfucking son of a bitch, yeah, yeah, fuck you, asshole. Okay, that is not a good faith effort to withdraw. Right? But that's what people think about. They think, oh, I gotta show that I'm so big and bad he can't follow me, so I'll go woof, woof, woof and run my mouth. And in doing so, they violate the deal that this dude has just offered. Right, because you're essentially, when you're backing down, you're letting him save face, so to speak. You're letting him know that you're not challenging him. And when you're physically moving away, but you're verbally challenging him, you're undoing what you just did. Yes. And also, really important safety tip, underlying, bold, capital, italics, etc. Violence overwhelmingly comes with instructions how to avoid it. Now, what do you mean by that? He will tell you what to do not to get your ass kicked. Can you, can you give me an example of how that works? Shut the fuck up or I'll kick your ass. When somebody says that, he is not, I repeat, not asking for you to comment about his testicles on his mother's chin. <laughs> but our what Rory Miller and I call our little monkey brain, the monkey, will insist that to save face, to save ego, to let him know he's not scaring me, I'm going to make that comment about him and Mama. Now, really, did he or did he not tell you to quit talking? (laughs) Well, what would you say then to somebody who said, well, the way you're describing this, though, I'm always backing down. I'm always letting somebody else push me around. Right, right, and I understand the fear. Okay, here's the problem. Okay, I, I teach police and military around the world. And one of the rules that I say is it is unrealistic to believe that all, or it is unreasonable to believe that all situations can be resolved reasonably. And figure, if you're a professional, if it's your job to walk in, that 90% of all situations can be resolved nonviolent. There's 10% that's going to go, no matter what. Okay. But I've met enough people who, I mean, they could piss off the good humor, man. These guys can take a 90% chance of it not turning violent and turn it to a 90% chance that it will go sideways because of what they say and do. These are the people that when the guy says, back off, they just have to make the comment about mommy. Right? And these are the people who tend to be the most scared about losing face, about, well, you're telling me to back away, right? No. If it's unnecessary, don't do it. If there is a way to handle the situation without it going violent, that doesn't mean there's going to be severe negative consequences. And these are actually very... Um, these aren't like, well, everybody's going to think I'm a pussy. Okay, no, that's not what I'm talking about. There's very legitimate negative consequences. Okay, like, oh, hey, I'm going to back away and let my friend get beaten up instead of me. That, no, unacceptable. Right? The problem is, it isn't that I'm telling people to back away, be a pussy, be a wimp, and da-da-da, lay down and just take it, is if you don't have to do it, don't do it. Because the fear of our monkey brain, you know, fear of losing status, is really bullshit. I mean, question, are you ever going to see this guy again? Probably not in most cases. Yeah. Well, then why do I care what he thinks? Is there any validity to the idea you're you're always going to get that one you know armchair psychologist says 
But yes, but Mark, if I go through life always backing down from every confrontation, I'm going to I'm going to be a wimp and I'm I'm going to feel bad about myself. And my mother. Okay, and my my question to him is: Is he getting his dick sucked? <laughs> I mean, does he have a woman who is willing to go down on him? I'm not sure I see the connection. Well, because if he does, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I can guess what your answer is going to be then, but I think this leads us to my next question, which is, what then is the biggest mistake that most people make when it comes to street evasion, to avoiding problems? Okay, actually, not just street evasion, but also getting into the situation itself is, and I love, Roy Miller summed it up best. Okay. The biggest mistake people make is they are acting in a way to impress a female chimp. Okay? Not a human female. Now, if you're into banging uh, orangutans, that's cool on you. You know, keep on doing what you're doing. But you know what? Women really do. (laughs) Hmm? Not that there's anything wrong with that. Who am I going to judge? You know, I mean, so, it sounds like you're saying we're we're using old hardwired instructions from back when we were primates that don't apply. Right. Well, we still are, but yes, but back when we were monkeys. And the problem is, people are guys are so busy telling themselves what chicks will think, like, oh my God, no woman want to lay me. Right. Um, that's the fear. I mean, I got to be a manly man to attract women. Well, guess what? Women are generally not impressed with you doing something stupid and violent. It's not a good way to get laid. Going back to my past, I can tell you from personal experience, every time I fought over pussy, I didn't get any. So, (laughs) the idea of I can't back down, I can't go away, and this answers your your question about evasion. The biggest mistake people make when it comes to evasion or escaping evasion is they don't fucking do it. Right. They they go for the confrontation instead of backing down away from it. Right. Check it out. <laughs> you know, I'm new in this bar. I've never been here before. I'm checking this place out. This guy's being an asshole. You know, what have I really got to lose by leaving? It's not like there aren't other bars. It's not like there aren't other places that I can meet people. You know? And besides, this chicky, this chicky that I was moving in on, and she's giving, mm, yeah, this guy's cutting in on me, right? You know, if I get a punch out with him, I ain't getting laid tonight. That brings me to the the common interpretation of backing down is, running away. And you, you'll often hear this given as sage advice. Well, you know, the way to win a knife fight is to run away. But there are a number of reasons why simply running in the opposite direction isn't a solution. Uh, can you tell us why that is? Ah. First of all, <laughs> there's, a, there's an old uh, t-shirt I used to have which said, mutate now, avoid the rush. <laughs> um... Part of the reason why people have strategy failure with uh, withdrawal is, I mean, basically, they wait until the moment that they've said this about his mother, they've stayed way too long, and now all of a sudden this guy wants to rip their head off and shit down the hole. So the problem of why running doesn't work is most people wait too long. Okay? Now, if this guy is right there and you try and run, yeah, there's a damn good chance he's going to catch him. On the other hand, if you're walking down the street, you turn in the corner, and here's three guys in a mugging position. Now, instead of walking into that situation, you turn around and walk away. You're probably not going to get chased. But see, you got to do it early enough that it is a viable strategy. And how do you that judge when that? It, it makes sense, but how do you judge when that point of no return is? At what point do you go up? Oh, I waited too late. Uh, generally speaking, you can tell when you get hit. 
<laughs> okay, take a note. Yeah, too late. You know, next time, do it earlier. <laughs> um, if there's a verbal confrontation, if you're finding yourself becoming angry and aggressive, if you've become hostile, you know, there's a damn good chance it's too late. Saying, no. And also, that's, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy of, well, what if he follows me? Well, you really shouldn't have said that, should you? Say, uh, it really is a matter of common sense. And most people who get into these situations and then say, you know, oh, well, it didn't work, or, you know, I've, they found, they really want to downplay their own bad behavior. Right, it say, didn't so, work when I tried to disengage while I was throwing stuff at him. Yeah, you know, I'd been an asshole for the last five minutes, and I threw something at him, and then it didn't work when I tried to disengage. <laughs> really? <laughs> Clearly he's out of control. It's true. It's all his fault. Right. <laughs> so, you know, that's one of those issues, which is a big one. Now, withdrawing from a situation, like I said, most of the time it works. Right? You don't have a duty to act. I mean, you're not working. You're not, you know, you're not a hired representative of the owner of the establishment to deal with trespassing. How's that for a fancy way of saying bouncer? Um, <laughs> but, you know, there's really very little reason for, I mean, look around. Do you have a reason to stay there? Okay? And if the answer is no other than pride, and pride is not an answer, then try and withdraw. Right, okay. so acceptance to all this would be, I can't simply withdraw because I've got somebody with me who can't move as fast as I can, or I have a small child in tow, or, you know, I'll be now this my I like grandmother behind. Right, now, this is even better because, let me tell you a story about a friend of mine. He was a pilot. He was being talked down through the clouds, through and. He couldn't see the thing, and Tower's telling him, all right, you know, an N-9, you know, your approach factor is fine. But he comes out of the cloud, and he's halfway down the runway. And he looks and goes, uh-uh. Meow. And he pulls up. Tower calls, N-977352, why did you pull up? Why did you abort? And my friend's response was, I like having the runway in front. Now, think about that as a pilot. Do you really want, when you're trying to land, do you want half of the runway behind you, or do you want the runway in front of you? Makes sense. Yeah. Well, when you're moving around with somebody who is older, is incapacitated, a child, or so, you need to keep the runway in front. So what you do is that you look around... You assess the situation. Is there danger? Nope. Okay, keep on doing what you're doing. Uh, there's a developing, there's a possible problem. I don't think I like that over there. Tell you what, we're going to go another way. See, it doesn't matter how fast Grandma can go if you're not walking into the situation. Okay. What about if you've made a mistake? And it's an ah, now we're talking. <laughs> okay, so as we professionals like to well, as we professionals like to say, oops. <laughs> now you're talking about a situation where you have to look at and assess. Now, let's get a little more. Give me some more data to play with on a mistake. What do you mean by that? Give me a scenario. Well, let's say that I'm. I'm taking my, my elderly grandmother to her bingo night. I make a wrong turn. I walk into what I think is the bingo parlor, and instead it's a private bar full of people who don't want me there. And when I go to try and leave, they don't want me to go. Okay. Rather um, number one, guys, really, you don't want to do this. My grandma, she's tough, right? I think, you know, there won't be a bloodbath if, if, if we just let her go away, okay? <laughs> so, in other words, try and play it off with humor? Well, yeah. I mean, the fact of the matter is, if you walk into uh, into, into the wrong place and go, ah, oops, I'm sorry, right? 
You'd be amazed how many people are willing to let that go. Again, good faith effort. Right. Um, let's give it, let's try something else. You're coming in, you, you're walking along, and all of a sudden, you see some guys you don't like. They're looking at you and Grandma. Right? You kind of, um, Grandma lives across the street. Okay, they cross the street too. Okay. Now we got a problem. They're on an intercept course. Turn and say, Grandma, we got to go the other way. Right? Yeah, something's going on here. I don't like the looks here. Communicate. Right? And this is one of the big things that I always tell people. You have to have a keyword with the people you're involved with to let them know that you're on the clock. So okay, I don't care what the word indicates there's an emergency. There's a problem, which with my wife and I, if, if she hears me say the word click, she knows I'm on the clock. Okay, so I've just communicated to her that I'm at code yellow or, or code one. Okay. This tells her, don't argue with me. Do what I tell you to do. There is a situation brewing. We're going to try and uh, avoid it. We're going to go do what we can, but I'm keeping an eye on this. So if I turn and I tell Grant, you know, I turn around and say, Grandma, we got to go the other way. We turn and we're walking the other way. They start following it. It's like, Grandma, I need you to go ahead. I want you to go home. Okay. And I send her on ahead. Now, I'm in a very, very distinct and different mindset than if it's just me. If it's just me, I can withdraw without any loss of face. But now I'm protecting somebody else. Right, so you're fighting a holding action, so to speak, to give her time to get away. Uh-huh. So she keeps on going. I slow down. Now, there's a variety of ways to handle it. One time that I was dealing with a situation like that, I sent the person ahead, I slowed down, I turned around, I looked at them, and I started walking backwards. Very calmly, very slowly, but I'm looking at them. They decided to let me go. All right. Now, along those same lines, Mark, most people when they're when they're fleeing danger and they're not thinking mindset, they're they're panicking. They've got blinders on. Maybe they're whoa, whoa, wait, wait, whoop, whoop, back up. Okay, there's a difference between fear and panic. Fear is your ally. When people come to me and go, well, you know, how do I get over my fear? You don't. Fear is your ally. Fear is your friend. Fear helps you get it done. Okay? You well, want fear. Fear is... That, hmm? Given that, given that we want some degree of fear, what is the basic mental attitude that I should have in order to be good at street evasion? How, how well, can I... Well, now, hold on. Panic, however. Okay, we'll answer that, but let me just... Panic is fear without a plan. Okay, I don't know what to do. I'm panicking. Okay. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. When one of the biggest mistakes people make is that they try to run from danger instead of to safety. Huge paradigm shift right there. When you're running, where are you running? The answer is to the lights and the noise. Because that means there's people there. So a place of greater safety will generally always be where there's more people to witness what's going on. Well, part of it. But the other thing is, okay, yes, from a predator standpoint, you are running towards witnesses. This is not good. Okay. From a safety 
safety standpoint, you're doing a withdrawal out of the circumstances they want to set up into situation that is more tactically advantageous to you. Does that make sense? Right, yeah, because since the attackers get to choose the time, the place, the conditions, you want to remove yourself from the 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 table they've set for you. Correct, and that's why it's a tactical withdrawal. Because I'm I'm withdrawing from that trap they've set. That gives them all the advantages. I'm getting out of there, and I'm moving into a situation where I have tactical advantage, where I can get some help, and where there will be witnesses. These three things, right then and there, unless it's personal, unless you've you know done if <laughs> I'm sorry, see the head gang, uh, gang banger? Yeah, you banged his old lady. Now it's personal. Okay. <laughs> With that, you know, it's going to be harder. <laughs> um, if it's not personal, the presence of witnesses, the change in dynamics, and the higher risk to them usually serves as a means to get them to back away. They'll give up. Say, no. Grandma, go on ahead. I'm backing away. I get into a place where I can meet them, right? Where I, it, they cannot have, they can't say surround me. Okay. I'm standing in an open parking lot. They can surround me. I get between two cars and they can come, they have to come at me one at a time. See, that is a better tactical advantage for me. Now, Did I this just go? Hmm? Oh, okay. go ahead, Mark. No, it just I it got a weird bing bong on the recording. Oh no, that was on my end. <laughs> Too much electricity. Oh, okay, there we go. Okay, so I'm not having an acid flashback. <laughs> just checking. <laughs> I understand, Mark, that you break street evasion into four components. You've got personal evasion when you're facing a problem up close. Uh, mm -hmm. What you call hot pursuit when you're being chased after surviving mm -hmm. that personal encounter. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. what you call fox and hound, which is when someone is sort of gunning for you in an ongoing fashion. <sighs> yeah, and then finally, yeah. uh, boomtown, where you're living in a dangerous area for long term. I'd like mm -hmm. to discuss your tips for successfully engaging in each of these one at a time, uh, starting with personal evasion. If I told you, uh, regardless of the other aspects of street evasion, I'm interested in your tips for personal evasion, what would you tell me? Don't get hit. <laughs> Okay. It's a simple statement. It's actually really hard to do. Not because stepping out of the way is so difficult, but because our monkey brain, our ego, and our... we ha Humans have a default attack pattern for social dominance fighting, and there's different types of violence, and one of the things is the human body is designed to take impact from the front. Okay? We can also take impact from the back. Now, at the same time, we have default attack patterns, which I described as, hey, diddle, diddle, straight up the middle. But realistically, human beings in social dominance fights tend to attack like two trains on the same track, head to head. Okay? We are designed like bighorn sheep to take the impact from the front, and we attack each other in dominance contest like bighorn sheep head-to-head. -head. So you get a lot of bang, crash, boom, but very little damage. Okay? Not falling into that default pattern is the hardest thing. Instead of running head-to-head -head with this guy, he comes charging at you, and you just step out of the way. That's hard, right? Because we want to think in terms of dominance. Okay? So personal evasion is first and foremost, learn to dodge. Now, I had to learn how to dodge because where I grew up, knives were the primary weapon. Right? So you never knew if that punch coming at you was actually a knife. 
So you learn to get out of the way, right? This is a really serious hurdle for most people, and it's also a major flaw in most training in, quote, self-defense, because they're actually teaching guys to go hate it a little straight up the middle and fight while calling it self-defense. Well, if the dude's got a knife, you got deep problems. So first thing you want to do is get out of the way and look. Does he have a knife? Oh, no, cool, okay. So that's the first one. Learn to dodge. Ingrain getting out of the way. Okay, and what would the second one be? The second one is the um, the Boomtown or the... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Um, I thought you meant you had more than one point for personal evasion. Uh, the next one... Well, yeah, personal evasion is don't get hit. <laughs> and, I mean, right <laughs> there you'll find... Okay, I'll give you a really uh, an amazing realization here, and it's a bit of truth. It's really easy. It's easier to beat people up from behind. See, if I'm standing in front of him, I got it. That's going to be a lot of work. On the other hand, if I dodge out of the way and I sucker punch him from behind, it's a lot easier. Right. <laughs> okay. So just because you're dodging doesn't mean you're running away. It means you're getting out of the way of his attack, and then you, you know, open up on him. Okay. Well, so the that's one then. The the okay. second component, the hot pursuit where someone is chasing you, what is your, your tip there for successfully evading when you're being pursued? Okay, now when you're being pursued, now this is different than somebody gunning for you. When you're when you're in the process of being pursued, you know, one of the things that people don't think about is that they stay on the sidewalk. They just unconsciously stay on the sidewalk. Well, if you're running along a sidewalk and then you turn, do a right angle turn, and there's not a building in the way, this guy can come up the triangle side. So you don't want to lose time that way. You want to move in the most effective manner possible where you're flowing from, um, you're taking straight lines, even though that means like running across yards, um, doing you know, different angulations to make it the quickest so they can't catch up with you. Now, the only exception to that is when you're running across the street. Okay, you don't ever want to run diagonally across the street because that actually leaves you in incoming traffic for a longer time. You actually want to zigzag across streets, but at the same time, you're still kind of diagonally doing it but you're getting into, a, you know, getting out of a lane, running up the dotted line, cutting over a bit, and then keep on going. So you want to do it in the shortest way possible. You want to use as many interferences as possible. For example, you're running along. The time where you do want to make a right-hand turn is when there's a car, a parked car, for example. I'm running along. And I zigzag through the car, and the guy can't triangulate because, well, he's got to climb over the car to get to me. So you want to use objects in the way to slow the guy down. And personally, I am a big fan of throwing shit. I mean, you know, three guys chasing you, you want to get them spread out just a bit, and, you know, maybe drop a trash can in the path, see how that slows them down. And also, once you get them strung out enough, it's like, oh, wow, look, they're not all quite, in the, they're not together again. I turn a corner, and when he comes around the corner, he gets a rude surprise, and then I keep on going. So they come around the corner, and they end up tripping over their friend who's unconscious. Now, the, the third component we talked about was uh, fox and hound. When someone is gunning for you, you've made when an somebody's enemy. somebody's gunning for you. And, and they're actively looking to hurt you, so at any point, they could be there. Right. Well, now, first thing to do is to change your patterns. Okay. Um, now, by the way, I should also tell you, even though I tell people about... Um, you know, be aware of because of the cameras and the modern technology, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that is, you're going to have to deal with cops. Okay. 
But see, where I grew up, there was, I mean, four things they taught in school. Reading, writing, arithmetic, and how to get away with crime. Um, the thing was, we were less concerned about the cops because of our street creds than we were retribution. Now, I will tell you from personal experience that when a dude that you've just beat up and the cops show up and everybody is claiming to look at the beer and this guy is looking dead at you when the cop says, do you know who did it? And he goes, no, I don't know who did it. You're going to see that dude again. Trust me on this one. <laughs> He's going to show up with his buddies and they're going to want to have a discussion with you. So, the first thing you got to do is it helps if you're in a neighborhood that you have that you're known if you do have the cred that you don't go that they don't ratch out. But that's not really easy for people to do. So the second most reasonable thing to do is change your patterns. You always go to this place, that's where the problem happened. Don't go to that place. You got a certain way of doing things, change them. Right? This is where most people blow it. Years and years ago, I was running a correctional center and somebody, long story, Basically, they brought a guy in and said, you know, we're going to violate this guy because we want to keep him alive. Right? So he'd violate, they violated his parole. They kept him in there, and they were saying, we're going to try and get him transferred to another place and, you know, let him out on parole again. Well, there were unique circumstances for anybody who's listening going, wait, that doesn't sound right. Well, I'm talking to him. I said, look. These people are hunting you. You need to go into a different line of work. You need to go into different, get out of the same circles because even if they relocate you down to Long Beach, if you're doing the same thing, people are going to find you. Well, he goes, man, I know how to make it in the streets, blah, 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 blah. Well, he went down to Long Beach. He started doing the same old shit. They found him. They killed him. Right? So you change your patterns. You change your social structure. Um, the way I describe it is, in many ways, living a certain lifestyle is like being in the desert. The desert's a big place, but because of the need for water, you could always find people at certain points. You could find them at water holes and in the towns. So as big as the desert was, it wasn't that big. When I talk about changing that pattern, when somebody's gunning for you, you need to change that, those behaviors that make you likely to be at a specific place at a specific time, right? The other thing you learn to do is you have to look at the situation and go, okay, here's my house. If somebody's gunning for me, where would they, you know, where would they stand? Where would they wait to shoot me? Okay. One of the places I lived, I looked at it and I said, you know, this fence here, you know, I can't see where the guy would be hiding if he was waiting for me in the shadows because there's a really good ambush spot. So what I did is I kicked a hole in the fence. So every time I came walking up, I could just bend down and look to see if anybody was standing in the ambush spot. Okay, uh, let's talk about the fourth component then, which is when you're living in a dangerous area long term. So there's no specific enemy who's looking for you. Mm-hmm. Learn the patterns. Okay, and this is really... Okay, I grew up in Los Angeles eating food that, well, let's just say that it was still alive when we started eating it. Okay. Um, there's... When I came out to Colorado, I kind of looked around and I said, uh, you guys got any ethnic food out here? And they went, oh yeah, we got both kinds. We got Mexican and Chinese. And I thought, I have died and gone to hee-haw hell. Right? 
So needless to say, in the small town that I live, I cannot get the kind of food I like. So I have to go up to the absolute worst part of Denver to do my food shopping. Okay? What do I do? Do I do my food shopping late at night? No. You know, I learn there are certain times that you can move around. There are certain corridors that you can travel that are considered safe. There are certain areas, there are certain bars you don't go into. Okay? Because that belongs to those people. That bar belongs to those people. You do not infringe on their territory. So that's a really big, you develop certain habits to, for example, you don't ever leave anything in your car that you want to have, that you would mind getting stolen. Okay? You don't leave stuff that makes it a soft target, make you a good tempting target. So basically there's a lot of stuff like you leave the outside of your house looking like hell, but you make the inside nice. But anybody looking, meh. Not a nice house. See, so that is a lot of the stuff where, you know, you understand that there are certain places that these guys hang out. Okay. Now, for example, there's a big difference between the, you know, the gang members that hang out in a park so they can see anybody coming and, say, the drug dealers that hang out in the corner. Are those guys on the corner the same ones? Okay, that's an important thing, because believe it or not, the drug dealer on that corner, if you don't jam with him, if you're just doing, going about your business, you know, doing your shopping, whatever, etc., um, you're less likely to get in conflict with him than you are one of his customers. And his customers will tell you, or, you know, he will tell his customers not to start shit where he is, Right? So the drug dealer that you see is actually less of a problem than his customer who's a block away, right? So this is why it's important to know you stay on certain the certain pathways, you do it at certain times. Um, you learn to function within, let's say, the vibe of the neighborhood. You learn the unwritten rules because people live there and they do it, and they do it rather well if you pay attention. Right? If you can get into that, if you can realize there are rules there and learn to follow the rules, you'll pretty much be okay. All right, then. Uh, obviously, when we're trying to evade in real-life confrontation, we may need to engage in actual violence. Um, yeah. And I know this is a topic you know very well. What would you say are your top three techniques for dealing out force quickly and efficiently in this type of situation? Hmm. You know what? I'm not going to tell you my top three techniques. I will, however, tell you my top three words. Okay. Get her done. You know, Larry the Cable Guy. I put him up there with Sun Tzu, Miyamoto Masashi, Clausewitz. You know, the great, the great people talking about war, right? The attitude, and here's where we're... Remember when I mentioned the default human conflict behavior, right? Mm -hmm. The dominance, fighting. Fighting is the most ineffective means of violence possible. Okay? It draws it out. You want that situation over in three moves or less. I don't care how, but it's you up, him on the ground. Okay? Three moves. If you can't do it in three moves, there's something wrong with what you've been taught. So then acquiring those three moves is pretty much up to your individual training? It's not... Okay, um... A good way to describe this is a throw consists of inner break throw. Okay? That, I've just given you the summation of you enter, you break the guy's balance, you throw him. 
the three moves I'm talking about is you deflect his attack, you destroy his structure slash balance, and you put him on the ground. I don't care how you meet those criteria, but you have to meet all three of those criteria. So if I'm standing there and I'm having to punch this dude 16 times, I am not meeting that criteria. Okay? This is this is especially critical when you're dealing with weapons. You do not have time for anything more than three moves. You get in it, you get in, you get it done, you knock him down to the ground, and then you run fiercely. Because with him down on the ground, you have the ability to withdraw. Okay. Totally different concept than what you thought it was, isn't it? <laughs> it is a little different, yeah. Yeah, um, this is what you need to survive. So we basically, there's a lesson here, and that is that we need to shift some of these, again, preconceived attitudes, like you mentioned, that come from that genetic programming. Mm-hmm. Which most training falls into that genetic training, and they call it self-defense. They call it combatives. They call it reality-based self-defense, when in actuality, it's fighting. So there, I, what you're describing is a program where I go to this guy, he's going to teach me to engage in self-defense. He's not actually teaching me to evade the situation. He's teaching me how to beat the other guy down like the primate that I want to be. Exactly. See, my my hinky is bigger than yours. Ha, 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 aren't I a stud? Yeah. Except for this will get you disemboweled if the guy's got a weapon. Or shot in the face. Right. So, you know, this is the thing that I have a real... You know, I've been... It's been 16 years since I was last shot at. I have never gone this long in my life without somebody trying to kill me. Right? And part of my problem with what is being taught as self-defense is they're taking... Well, violence is unacceptable in our society, right, and our modern interpretation. So, gee, you can't fight. So what they're going to do is they're going to take what they used to use for fighting and call it self-defense. They're not going to change the program. They're not going to change what they're teaching. They're just going to call it self-defense when it's not. It's a fight. And, I mean, the fact is, the legal issues aside, sometimes you do have to fight. But man up about the consequences. Admit that that's what you're doing. Yep, I fought. Okay. Don't call it self-defense because if you try and wiggle out of it and uh, call it self-defense and say, oh, what I was doing was self-defense, I got bad news for you. You have just confessed to a crime. It's better to shut up and say nothing than it is to claim self-defense. Because you're you're giving the prosecution something they can hold on to in terms of, well, Your Honor, he thought he was engaging in this specific action, which clearly entailed the intent to beat this other guy down. More than that, yes, and. Um, the biggest defense claim is Saudi. Some other dude did it. Okay. <laughs> did you do this? Nope, some other dude did it. Even though the guy, they've got film of this guy doing it. Nope, I didn't do it. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And once you take the Saudi approach, it is up to the prosecution to prove that it was you who done it. <laughs> okay? When you walk up and say self-defense, you say, yep, I did something that is normally a crime. All right? But, and here's what gets important, I had good reason to do it. Other than he called me a name. Right? So, now to give you a quick summation of our legal system, and I mean, this is a really gross simplification. The normal
normal thing is for the guy to say, I didn't do it, the prosecutor to try and say, yes, you did, and the defense attorney to go, did not, did not, liar, liar, pants on fire, neener, neener, neener. Okay? And yes, that is actually how it really works. <laughs> but when you claim self-defense, it is suddenly the prosecutor who turns around and says, liar, liar, pants on fire. Because when you claim self-defense, you now have to prove why it was. You have to prove that you did everything in your power to keep this from going violent, that it wasn't a consensual fight, that you weren't looking to jack this dude up, which tracks it back to what I was talking about of a tactical withdrawal. Oh, I was the aggressor. If I was the aggressor, how come I apologized and tried to walk away? That's a good point. Uh, Pursuant to that, Mark, is there a drill that you could walk us through that we could do to help make us better street evaders? Um, a drill. Wow, that <laughs> we've covered a lot of information here. Um, well, like, don't even think of it necessarily in terms of a drill. If I say, Mark, I want to oh, yeah. practice my evasion skills, how could I do that without obviously well, going okay. and getting in trouble? <laughs> okay. Step one, let's go through the, the different levels. The Stand there with your hands behind your back and have a partner, and I do not want any Kennedy magic bullets, right? And that's the bullet that can, like, turn 90 degrees, turn another 90 degrees, flip 180 degrees, and come back, right? Um, the, the Kennedy assassination, one of the things about the conspiracy theorist is that in order for that bullet to do all the damage it did, it would have to change course 18 different times. But basically, you have your partner throw a punch, start slow, because you're standing with your hand behind your back, and if he, if he starts on a course, he's got to stay on that punch, on that course. Dodge. Don't try and block. Just dodge. Just twist out of the way. Just step out of the way. Move. Okay, and that gets you into the habit of moving. Now, before you speed things up, then you can start adding, you can add in hands. So the thing is, he's throwing a punch, you're kind of blocking and moving, but it's not the block that's doing all the work. What's really doing the work is you getting out of the way. So you actually have to block less. The blocks can become parries. They can become deflections, right? So you basically learn to move out of the way and then start playing some more with it where you move into a better tactical position, right? So, yes, I can just jump out of the way. Whee! No problem. Okay, I can block and dodge. No sweat. But can I block, dodge, and improve my position and destroy his? So, yes, you can do this drill, you know, from that thing, just not to get hit. Okay. Running the active pursuit, yeah, actually go out and play around with your friends and play tag. I mean, it's a kid's game, right? Practice it. It sounds silly, but if you don't practice it, you won't be able to figure out a lot of the mistakes people make. And it's better to make the mistake playing tag than it is to make the mistake when you're actually being chased by somebody who wants to break your head. Gunning mm-hmm. for and bad neighborhoods, eh, that's a little harder. Uh, now, we covered, Mark, and I was going to ask about how the, the dynamics change when we're dealing with uh, dependents, you know, children, the elderly, people who mm-hmm. are responsible for it. We discussed that. Uh, which brings me to, and this is always my favorite part, uh, you're known for your vivid self-defense stories. I wonder if you have a, an applicable street evasion story that you could share with us tonight. <laughs> because I would, I would never forgive myself if I didn't ask for one. Oh, wow. Let's see. 
let's see, the time where uh, I was facing 50 dudes and I only had five bullets in my gun, <laughs> um, or the time that, you know, just walking down with my buddy, we're walking home from the movies and we walk past a party. My friend looks over his uh, shoulder and goes, run! I turn over, look over my shoulder, and there's about ten dudes chasing us. Off we go. Or the time when I uh, <clears throat> had crossed let's, the local gang. Let's stop, in, because I want to hear them all. Tell me the one about the ten dudes chasing you. <laughs> I want to know. Well, that one was just, um, fortunately, we had a good head start. Because, and but okay, recognize often the chases can be territorial. Okay? That means they don't really want to chase you. They don't want to, well, if they catch you, they'll jack you up, but they don't want to chase you outside their territory. So a lot of times, you know, people will make a production of chasing and, you know, ah, nah, this is too much work. Let's go back to drinking. Okay. Oh, wait. <laughs> and then there's that one exciting one. Um, I was in a bar. Okay. This, like many of my stories, this happened before cell phones. I had a friend who lived in the Sierra Nevada mountains and I'm driving along and he goes, okay, once you get to this bar, give me a call because there's no way to find my place. You know, I'll come and get you and you can follow me. So I pull in. I'm sitting there, I call him, or I call my call my friend, sit down at the beer, some guy comes up, starts giving me grief. Now, I was not from a place where we had friendly fights, right? And this guy comes up and starts giving me garbage, and I'm like, back off, dude. Well, guess what? I got hair down to my bottom, the bottom of my rib cage, and I'm in a place where they all have flannel shirts and baseball hats. Not good. Telling this dude to back off. <clears throat> no, no, no. So I stood up and dropped him in three moves. The entire bar stood up. Oops. <laughs> I'm I leaving now. Mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Pardon me. Did I, was that a social faux pas? I didn't know. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> so I hauled ass out of there. They chase me down for, you know, I don't know, just, you know, a few hundred yards, and then they gave up, right? I had left the bar. Apparently, they didn't like this guy, but I had broken the rules by dropping him too fast. And he made so, he's our jerk. <laughs> exactly. Right? So, you know, <clears throat> my friend shows up about 10 minutes later, and I'm hiding behind the dumpster, and he's like, what are you doing there? He's like, shut up, let's go. <laughs> But, you know, these are the sort of situations of a lot of times, if it's not personal, they'll just chase you out of the neighborhood. Okay, they'll just chase you out of the area. If you have made it personal, they will tend to pursue you more. Okay, that's where the hardcore evasion escape plus hiding, um, you know, this is the sort of stuff where you run up, you kick a gate, make it swing, and then you dive underneath a, a, an SUV. So they they come running around the corner, and they see the gate swinging. They go that way, and you're underneath the SUV. Um, oh, yeah. Hey, you know, they need to get a new oil filter here. Um, these are the sort of things that you get it, you learn. If they're hunting you, it's not just a matter of getting away. You're going to have to probably turn around and do something. Um, those are the situations where the guy came around the corner and met an elbow or, you know, ran into a trash can or something like that, which is, by the way, loads of fun. Um, I'm sorry, that was my inner voice. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, there are times that you can simply leave the area, and that's good enough. There are other times you have to make it too expensive for them to hunt you or to continue chasing you. Because here's something interesting. Generally speaking, the guy out in front is the dude who really wants you. And everybody else is just going along. But if they turn around and they see him down on the ground, 
Hey, man, you guys go ahead. I'll take care of Fred here. <clears throat> yeah, okay. Because they don't want to have happen to them what happened to Fred. All right. Um, we asked this of all our guests, Mark. Uh, what haven't we I covered? I didn't do it. I don't care what the video said. What? I'm sorry. <laughs> what haven't we covered that you would like to leave our listeners with tonight? Um, uh, On the topic of street evasion. Uh, yeah. You know, the thing about it is the hardest thing to do is get your ego out of the way. Right, because there's a, a term I use called rattlesnake cornered. A rattlesnake is the stupidest snake on this planet because it can be cornered in an open field. Okay? Do not mistake pride and fear of like, well, I can't back away because I'll be a pussy and 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 and. and with no, if you can walk away, walk away. I mean, life is going to be hard enough. Enough shit's going to come your way anyway. Shit you can't avoid, right? Okay, so maybe you were banging at the guy's old lady, but you know, I mean, okay, but things are going to happen. <laughs> okay, you don't need to meet every challenge that comes your way. It's really okay to walk away. Because there will be times you can't, but make sure those are real. I think that says it all, and that's certainly been the the theme for the evening. Mark, this has been incredibly educational and very entertaining. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Well, I'm glad to have been uh, invited again. Well, we look forward to perhaps speaking with you again in the near future. Okay. Oh, actually, I just did think about something. When you're facing multiple guys... It's really useful to take the baddest dude they have and throw him into the mouth. Because they're not necessarily the same thing. But if you take out the guy who everybody else knows he can't take him down, or they can't take him down, and you throw him into the guy who's gunning for you, and then you run through them and run fiercely, once again, they're less likely to hunt you. All right. Well, yeah. Mark, thank you very much. I have enjoyed immensely speaking with you tonight. Well, I'm glad to have been invited. So thanks so much for having me here. You've been listening to the Warrior Life Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us spread the mission of self-reliance and self-protection when you rate us. And leave us a comment wherever you enjoy these podcasts. And don't forget to check out our posts and videos on our social media channels. You'll see a full directory when you visit our website at www.warriorlife.com. We'll see you next time. This has been the Warrior Life Podcast. Prepare. Train. Survive.